Thank you so much for listening to yet another edition of 10,000 Pitchers presented by our friends at Stimulus Athletic. If you're a soccer, baseball, basketball, even Ultimate Frisbee Club, and, and you're looking for somebody to outfit your club with uh, game gear, jerseys, you know, or off the field or off the court apparel as well, Stimulus Athletic does all of it, and they have you completely covered. Jason and the team at Stimulus are amazing. We have worked with them in the past. I'm not just talking from somebody who, you know, has stimulus sponsor this podcast. I am talking as somebody who has been a former customer of stimulus athletic and utilized them to develop our 10 K kit last summer. And you've seen the reaction to that. You've seen how much the people love it, who have gotten it. Um, I wear mine probably once a week being completely honest. So if not more, so that's, that's kind of the quality you're working with, with Jason and the team at stimulus. So, like I said, whether it's jerseys, whether it's, you know, off the field, off the court apparel, whether it's both stimulus, has you covered. If you have a design in mind, maybe you're a designer, maybe you have a designer, maybe you really liked the design you had last year, Stimulus can reapply that to their quality apparel and jerseys. Now, if you don't have a design and you're going in kind of scratch and you're not sure what exactly you want, that works too, because Stimulus has an awesome design team and they can help you come up with the look you want, again, on that quality apparel and quality game gear and quality jerseys. So contact Stimulus Athletic. Go to stimulusathletic.com, click that design tab, click that get started button and start your amazing process with Stimulus today and make sure you let them know Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. Here we go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of 10,000 Pitches presented by Stimulus Athletic. That's right, Stimulus Athletic, providing quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices. Head over to StimulusAthletic.com to check out what they're doing. So welcome in. We are on episode 43. 40, 43. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you're enjoying, whether it's your first episode or your 43rd. Also, while you're here, feel free to follow us on all social media accounts. That is at 10K Pitches, the number 10. So today, no Jeremy again. Uh, he's out, uh, strained vocal cords. Um, but we are joined by Small World Soccer Pod uh, co-host and board member slash team ambassador slash social media manager of Bateau FC, Josh. Josh, how are you doing? Thanks for that introduction, Ethan. I mean, it's kind of long-winded. I, I guess it just means I've got a lot going on. Um, but I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You know, we don't we don't often do uh, you know, return return people on the pod. So you're in am rare the, company. Am I the first return guest? Uh I mean, this yeah, is that, the third time I've been on now. Uh you're definitely the first third time ten thousand pitches member, I think. Well, but anyways. Anyways. Um uh happy happy April Fools. Um yeah, yeah, man. Happy, happy April Fools to you. Do you have any good pranks planned? Well, um, we just sent out the uh we just sent out the Jeremy got fired tweet on 10K. So hopefully that uh hopefully that does I well. I mean that's not a joke though. 
that's that's a very serious real thing well like this i would i would play into that a little more but the thing is people are going to listen to this on friday it's it's thursday so i yeah. think by then the cat will be out of the bag um but i, I wish well that's just unfortunate it's a, <laughs> yeah i i don't know hopefully people get a kick out of that but any yeah no overall though april fools has got to be the worst holiday right like top to bottom worst holiday I mean, I'm not sure if people actually consider it a holiday. I haven't thought about it seriously in years. I haven't tried to pull pranks on people. It's just not in my nature. But uh, I might have to change that today. I I will be taking plenty of phone calls soon for my day job. I might have to joke that people's energy has been shut off. I I would do it. Might as well, right? (laughs) Might get fired, but... (laughs) Worth worth it for a couple laughs. Um. No, I, I I strongly dislike April Fools. I I feel like every day or like every April Fools, you know, I'd I'd walk downstairs as a as a child, and uh, and you know, my mom or dad would be waiting down there, and they'd team me up like school's canceled today, and I and I bought it hook, line, and sinker every single year, uh, just to uh, just to be disappointed that I had to go to school that day. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty anti April Fools. I mean, that, that's pretty traumatic. I, I can't lie. So you're carrying that with you every day of your life from here on out. It's going to take a lot of work to like really undo the, the scars that your parents really put into you there. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, man. I'm see, you get it, Josh. You get oh, it. Totally. I'm glad. I'm glad someone, someone gets it. Um, but also uh, happy Easter to everybody. Um, our early happy Easter. Um, I'm pro Easter. I love Easter. Um, I, I loved the uh, finding the plastic eggs with like whatever you know was in there. That was fun every year. I enjoyed that. Yeah, myself, I'm I'm a big fan of those um, those peanut butter eggs. I'm not going to name the brand because they're not an official sponsor. But um, but the peanut butter eggs and everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those are probably the best. They they de- they definitely like they got to be the best peanut butter to chocolate ratio there is. Like out of all the different variants of that specific candy, best like ratio easily. Yeah, easily. I mean, I don't think there's any more that needs to be said about it. But uh, with with Easter as well, I mean, uh, the Easter egg hunts, um, chocolate bunnies, like I'm a big fan of candy, clearly. Uh, So so I'm a big fan of this holiday. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Easter. Like, I I don't enjoy going to like the Easter events, and they have the the grown man slash woman in the bunny child. That's always a little jarring. But uh, <laughs> but beyond that, I love Easter. Top top to bottom, it's a great holiday. Um. Anyways, uh, soccer. So um. Josh, you you're well versed in this. The Wapassel has been announcing new teams all uh, all week, or I guess the teams returning and the new teams. Um, exciting stuff. I think the the most recent team to get announced prior to recording was uh, Sparta from Sparta FC or Sparta FC from Sparta, Wisconsin, uh, which is right outside the cross. Uh, exciting stuff. Josh, any any thoughts? Yeah, I mean. Um... Uh, I, I'm excited to see what teams are going to be coming in, into this league. I mean, I, I already have that information, but uh, I'm going to let the league commissioner do his work and put those posts out on social media and, and not announce them here. But um, but the three teams that have been announced so far, Lobos and Spartan um, and Baron as well, 
Um, so two teams returning in Lobos and Barron. They were second and third last year, respectively. And then Spartan is a new team. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they got. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think being in the lacrosse area, you know, you have a big player pool. Um, I know the uh, lacrosse or like it's the Ducks uh, from who are also in the lacrosse area. Um, they play in the UPSL. They're not playing this year. So, um, you know, there's some players they might be able to pull from. Um, and then obviously there's the MPSL team in lacrosse as well. So I think there's, you know, a lot of talented players there top to bottom. And yeah, hopefully uh, Sparta can uh, put a competitive group on the field. Um, so moving on here, uh, the Gophers, Gopher women's soccer team beat Maryland one to zero on one yeah one two they won one to zero on uh on senior day and and yeah that you know they they every major statistical category they won uh you know shots on goal shots corner kicks um and yeah you know exciting win on senior day uh beaten beaten maryland um josh you're from milwaukee do you remember do you remember diamond stone Oh, I do remember Diamond Stone. I, yeah. yeah, he went to Maryland, so yeah. I, I remember that name. Um, my, uh, I had a buddy who actually went to Dominican, who was a couple of years ahead of him. So he was raving about him when he was there at that school. Yeah, we uh, like, yeah, he he was nuts. He was wild. Um, he, he was he was tall. He's he was a monster for a high schooler. Yeah, he was. I'm pretty sure he he spent a stint with the uh, the Iowa Wolves, which is the uh, Timberwolves G League affiliate. Um, I remember it was his birthday and he was playing like against our high school and like one of my friends tried to buy him like a birthday cake and our athletic dire- director said he couldn't give him the cake. Um, well, that's, that's just not cool. I, I think it's like rule. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why, but like they already had the cake. Like we all saw the cake, but, but anyways, um, that had nothing to do with, with soccer. It's just diamond stone. Cool guy. Fun player. Um, I mean, I've got an update on his career if you really want one. Yeah, go ahead. Re- fire away. Um, yeah, it looks like, uh, according to Google, he's currently playing for the Guelph Nighthawks of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. I didn't even know Canada had a basketball league. Yeah, no, I honestly, I, I pride myself as, you know, like well-versed in Canadian things. Um, and I didn't <laughs> know that myself, but um, good for him, you know? Yeah. Good for him. Um. Go Diamond. Uh, cool name. Cool name. Diamond Stone. It's an all-timer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you get diamonds from the earth. Stones are from the earth. I mean, he is very much an earthy presence, I'm sure. I, I, I start to wonder, like, his birthday, is he an earth sign? Like, how deep can we go in this? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the question that, you know, you, me, and everyone else wants to answer. <laughs> so, so, yeah, go go Gophs. Go Gophs. Um, moving on here. Uh, Josh, you know a thing or two about uh, Bateau and the 10K partnership with Bateau. Uh, would you like to comment on all, you know, just uh, kind of what this uh, partnership means uh, for the club and uh, just your overall thoughts? Yeah, um, so a couple months ago is when this whole this whole arrangement began, but we, uh, we worked closely with you guys, with you and, and Jeremy, to set up a, a merchandise store uh just to get our brand out there a little bit more uh and we've been working with uh the design team which is uh ethan and and his uh 
his loyal minions. I think he's got some people that he's working with. Who knows? Um, but uh, uh, they've been putting together some great designs for us, and, and we've been putting merch out onto our website, which is batoefcshop.com. And um, and we're continuing to put new merch out uh, frequently. We've got a couple of deals running right now as well. Uh, so if you do head over to the website, we've got some coupon codes that you can use to um, uh, get some savings on, on a, say, a nice 715 hoodie or a crew neck. We also have T-shirts. We've got coffee mugs, stickers. Uh, really, we've tried to put out as much as possible in, in as little amount of time as possible. But it's been a good partnership so far. Uh, the money we're earning from this is going straight into club operations, straight into equipment, straight into more merchandise so that we can get more back to the people and do more in our community. That's right. Batoefcshop.com. That is B-A-T-E-A-U-X-F-C-Shop.com. Use code POD for 10% off on your first order. And like Josh mentioned, a lot of other great uh or a lot of other discount codes currently being ran. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, Josh. Like you said, like a big part of having merchandise as a lower league club is to help get your name out there. Um, and another big part of getting your name out there is uh, the the social media side of being like a small league team. And you're the, the social media manager for Bateau FC. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what, how, uh, you know, running social media, um, you know, for lower league club kind of goes and the ins and outs of that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very open ended question, Ethan. Um, I'd say for starters, social media, it's a free service, uh, whether you're using Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, uh, any one of the other number of social media sites out there that are available to use. Um, and it, it's crucial if you want to get the word out for your team, uh, much like the merchandise thing. Uh, building your brand awareness is is really important for a lower league team because the market is so saturated. But at the same time, the average American doesn't really care about lower league soccer. And it's unfortunate where I think a lot of us are working hard to change that. Um, but uh, we still have a lot of work to do. And while we're doing that, we might as well just hop on Twitter or um Facebook or, or whatever we're going to use and, and just interact with as many people and as, as many other clubs as possible and, and, and uh, just start building ourselves up a bit. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think like you said, like social media, it's a, it's a free service. Um, and, uh, and that's great. It's really helpful, but you know, on the, on the flip side of that, right. Like, uh, you know, planning social media content that's engaging, uh, you know, making the content, whether that be, you know, getting, you know, pictures, building graphics, uh, you know, kind of keeping within a brand identity that that's all very tough. And it's hard to do, you know, with pretty much no, no, like, real money uh, allocated to that, you know, specific part of the club. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And the other thing I'd throw in there is that it's very time consuming. Um when the work I do for Bateau's social media, it's not I, I, like I just don't like create all these graphics or, or these tweets or posts in a five minute, 10 minute span. And then I just sit on them and then put them out. It takes a lot of time to, to put all this stuff together. A lot of correspondence with the rest of the guys to see if they want anything put out as well. Um, we try to get things planned as much as possible. So I'm looking to plan like at least a week or two weeks out 
But um, the other thing about being a lower league team is the situation is just so volatile. So there are things changing and things being announced every day that you need to interact with. So even the best laid plans often go astray. Yeah, it, uh, it, it is time consuming, like you said. And, you know, nothing, nothing hurts more than, you know, teeing up like a banger tweet. And then, you know, you send that out and you check it a couple hours later and you you got like two likes and a reply. Just completely flat. Yeah, no, that's that's demoralizing. It is, yeah. Or, you know, you spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a graphic highlighting, you know, something. And then, and, you know, you ask the question to try to, you know, boost that in game. You're like, hey, like, wh- what do you guys think? And you have one reply and it's just like, oof, <laughs> Tough. And, it, and it's from the social media manager on his personal account. Yeah, yeah, you got. Yeah, I'm. I uh, I'm ready to start making burners to boost <laughs> engagement here at 10k. Um, yeah, just make them more convincing than Amazon burners. Though, oh, did you see the one where they oh, took the the dude picture, the guy from Dude Perfect? That was yes. so funny. <laughs> That was oh, that was so funny. And like when you Google "dude perfect," it's the first picture that comes up. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was actually perfect. Uh, they did a great job, really disguising that person. I think it. I can't remember what name they used for it, but I think he was from Oklahoma. He worked in the packaging warehouse. They made it really convincing. So you know, good on Amazon to you know really sell us on that one. Yeah, they they got me. Um, yeah, yeah. No, if I do a burner, it'll be it'll be marginally better than that one, but tough to top that one. What what, um, what would your burner account name be? I I I feel like in my head, I want to say it'd be something really creative, but in reality, I'd probably just put a B in front of Ethan and an E in front of Brant. Like I would just I just swap the first letters. Okay, and it I mean, and there'd be. It would be like at, you know, Beethan, uh rant uh, 48. And then, yeah. And it, I don't know. And I'd use I, a picture. No, for one like, would, no one would know. I don't, I don't think so. And like my picture would be like, uh, I don't know, like, like George Clooney from like <laughs> 1994 and some like, like low budget movie. Oh, that was um, right around the Batman years. Yeah, me. I don't know. Maybe I'd do that. Just George something to try to. Just something to you know. They'd be like, "Oh, this guy's clearly just a big you know fan, and he's thirty five and has like a job and a life, you know." And look I at that know. silver fox. I mean, that gray hair is just so sparkly. Yeah, that. Yeah, maybe I just pull it straight from the Nespresso ad um, <laughs> instead. But uh, but anyways, yeah. So, social media for lower league. It's it's important. But it's tough. Yeah, the big thing to remember is like if you're gonna do it, you gotta dedicate to it, and it uh, it also depends on what community you're in. So with Bateau, we're in a community where we feel that it's important, but there are a lot of like um, ethnic communities in the lower leagues that don't really get any recognition whatsoever. I know non-league America, uh, Steve Bailey over there is doing a great job trying to uh, do some exposés on on um, clubs in um, Chicago, like Moriella, I think is the name of them. Uh, he's worked, he's done documentaries on Gold, uh, Goldsboro Strike Eagles over in North Carolina as well, trying to build up the image of these clubs that don't have those resources. So he's doing great work. Um, but basically all that to say, there, there are clubs in areas where they don't have to use social media because they are so firmly rooted in the community that people always know when their matches are. People are always going to come out 
and that's their market and that's it. They don't have to uh, build their brand to anyone else. They have nothing else to sell to anyone. Um, so with, uh, with Bateau or with, um, you know, the clubs in the Minneapolis area, we're all vying for that top spot of getting, of having the most recognition. And, and that's why we do it, how we do it. Yeah, of course. I, yeah. Uh, knowing, knowing your audience is huge. Um, and you know, whether, and but like, like everything you mentioned, but then beyond that, you know, are they, are they on Instagram? Are they on, are they on Twitter? Maybe, maybe, maybe they're on Reddit, you know, and you have to kind of go a little more into the weeds to ultimately hit your ta- target audience um, in an effective and engaging manner. Before we get into this week's interview, want to let you know that leagues are coming to Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee in Minneapolis this spring and summer. You could be the first to lift the Ninth Street Cup. Eight games over eight weeks, winner take all, no playoffs, top of the table. Takes home the hardware, so exactly the same as the Premier League or your other favorite European soccer league. And also, these competitions are semi-competitive. So, obviously, you come to compete, right? But you don't want to be that guy that's taking it too seriously. You can be competitive and have fun in the process, and that's what these leagues at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee are all about. Two separate leagues. So depending on your schedule, there's something to accommodate you. You can either play Wednesday nights or Saturday mornings, 8 to 10 p.m. on Wednesdays, 8 to 10 a.m. on Saturdays. Whatever best fits your schedule, that's the league you'll want to sign up for. Limit eight teams per league, minimum five players per team. This is five on five, so if you think you got the goods, you think you got the stamina to roll with just five players, no subs, be my guest, but my guess is you're going to want to have some subs, so just keep that in mind as well. Registration's only open until April 3rd, so get your team together and get signed up before that date. NinthStreetMPLS.com slash league. That's N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S.com slash league to get registered for the Ninth Street Cup. All right, now let's get into this week's interview. I now have the absolute pleasure to welcome in an MLS and Bundesliga veteran. He's played in the UEFA Champions League. He's played for the U.S. Men's National Team and gotten an assist in both the Champions League and the FIFA World Cup. But most notably, on top of all that, a man who's dedicated his post-playing career to giving back to his native Twin Cities community, both on and off the pitch. Visit the SaneFoundation.org to learn how you can contribute and get involved. It's none other than Tony Sane. Tony, thank you so much for taking some time to join me this week. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're going to get into your uh, your illustrious playing career here in just a little bit, but I want to start with kind of the most important topic I think in this, and that's the Sane Foundation. You know, ever since uh, ever since you stopped playing, um, you know, I think it's been about it's been about twelve years, 12, 13 years now since you ended your playing career, two thousand eight, I believe. Uh, you sort of, again, dedicated that time to developing the Sane Foundation, which really gives back to the Twin Cities community in both in multiple ways. So how did the idea for this foundation start? And when did you know this is kind of what you wanted to do after your playing career? Well, it really started, um, you know, when I when I unretired in 2009, actually, I went back to L.A. Galaxy and I thought, you know, I can still play. Um, you know, my body felt pretty good. So I unretired and went and got in shape and played it. And then I went upstairs every day to the director of community relations and just learned about what their program did. And um, I decided I needed to come back to Minnesota and and do more and use soccer. And then the more I thought about it, it wasn't really the soccer, it was all the relationships within the sport. So I went back to school, studied developmental relationships and how I could use soccer as a vehicle to build relationships in the community. 
Is there one, you know, you know, family or, or an individual or a story that you've heard along the way or been told along the way that kind of kind of encapsulates what the Sinai Foundation is all about and, and why you started it in the first place? Well, you know, I sent you the video of uh, we have a, a guy named Tino that came and, you know, he made some poor choices when he was young. Um, but just, you know, being a part of our team now and how we've been able to support him and how he's been able to give back. It's been incredible. But, you know, I have a lot of people now that are starting to, you know, come back and they were in our programs and now they work for us. So just to see that development from from participant to employee has been great. And 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 that's the best thing is it's cyclical and we're changing the narrative. Absolutely. Uh, you know, growing up in St. Paul, being introduced to the sport of soccer and, and getting the opportunity to get into the game grow your game, you know, become a pro, obtain the resume that you have. What what was your moment where you either realized you were sort of good enough to take your game to that professional level or sort of the moment where where you, you know, somebody took a chance on you or maybe gave you the accessibility you needed to reach that level and how have you tried to kind of turn that and give that back? Well, you know, I I, I always loved the game and I had good friends and you know, I, there's a couple of defining moments in my life like one was um I think like my first high school game um, as a junior in high school and we played a team and I got these new shoes and I felt really good. And um, I scored two goals, but one of them was I chipped the keeper. Um, and I just felt like a different person and the game had to be slow motion. And I realized that, you know, I had gone from, you know, a five ten, five nine kid that was the slowest person on my team to five eleven and possibly the fastest kid in the state. And I knew things were different. Um, and then, you know, later on in life, I, I in college, um, a guy that ended up being my mentor and my agent came to me and I was pissed off because I was leading the region in scoring, but I wasn't starting because I was a freshman and we won a game and, you know, I played about half and I was pouting and a guy came after me and he said, um, if you want to quit school today, I'll quit my job and start a pro team and build it around you. And I'm thinking, now this guy is crazy, right? He brings out his yeah. car, right? Um, but, uh, Three years later, um, I finished school at Milwaukee, and he went and got Brian McBride and myself and some other guys and started a pro team and built it around me. And we had, uh, we had, you know, we ended up with two World Cup players from that team. So um, when I was pouting because I wasn't playing all the time, he let me know that I was going to be better than anyone on that field and not to worry about it and just keep going. So, um, you know, one was a realization for myself and. One was a total stranger having that much belief in me. Definitely. Um, so in your opinion, you know, as far as the youth development piece goes, you know, you started, you know, playing with St. Paul Blackhawks before you ended up playing D1 soccer at UW-Milwaukee. How has that process of youth development, both, I guess, nationally and locally here in Minnesota, how have you seen that grow from, you know, when you were growing up to, to what we have now? Well, I want to start out by saying in, in the work that we're doing, like we do youth development, and unfortunately, soccer in this country isn't youth development. So there's a difference. It's youth soccer, but it's not youth development. And I think if we would look at it as youth development, we, you know, we would grow better, better individuals and peoples and a better climate for, for different people of color to engage. Um, you know, it's been interesting watching the game. Um, you know, we're the only country in the world where populations of color or low income don't play soccer, right? We're the only ones where, like, the biggest barriers are for the poorest people. And so, you know, that's changing a little bit because of the access. I think the internet um, has allowed us to see and watch players all around the world. And, 
you know, understand and learn to love our stars. So that's definitely helped grow the game. But the access hasn't changed all that much. And, you know, if you're a person of color and you're really good, somebody will give you a scholarship somewhere. But they're not really expending money to build the base. They're not investing in just so people can play um, and have an enjoyable experience. I think that has to change first and foremost if we really want to see the game grow. What is that next step? Is it is it sort of changing the uh, changing the way it's done, or is it maybe just adding a new aspect to it that could provide more accessibility? Kind of in your mind, what would be that sort of first crucial step towards kind of reaching that end goal of making the game fully accessible here as it is in other countries? Well, I think it's um, offering more community and rec leagues in low income areas, and I think also. Um, we have to make it affordable for longer. You know, what happens is once you become eight, now it's like, okay, you're not in rec, so you got to join a team that spends thousands of dollars because you got three road trips here and you end up playing two of the same teams from your own city. Um, but we need to keep that base bigger longer because, you know, if you're good, they'll give you a scholarship. But, you know, we need to invest in development um, and not in winning. And, I, and the reason I say that is, you know, I graduated high school at age 18. Um, I was 19 before I went to college. So immediately I was a starter. I was great. Um, but when I was young, I went to Africa when I was a little kid and I didn't go to school for a year. So I, I basically was a, a year older than my peers. So if I would have been went to college a year earlier, I probably still would have played, but maybe not all the time. I would have been, you know, paid 15 minutes a game. You know, who knows if I even got on the field. Now, what if I would have graduated at 17 and went to college at 18? Um, right? Or 16 months. So two years later, I would have gotten cut. They would have said, you know, you're not good enough to play college soccer. At the end of the day, when I was 25, 26 years old, I believe I was one of the top, you know, 20 players in the country. Absolutely. Stop playing at age 17 because we're worried about winning at that age and we're not looking at development. So we need to give a lot of young people the opportunity to play longer without being the best because we don't know where people are on that pendulum of development. And so we are, we are creating a poor environment for people to play for the love of the game. And we're not sometimes, sometimes we don't get to see, you know, when that caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point that investing in development at those younger ages will lead to more winning in the older ages, right? That's really what you want to see. But I I think you're right. I think the focus is too much on the wins and losses in terms of coming up as opposed to developing these, these players. And as you mentioned, and as, as it's been very well documented, the, the financial barrier, as far as youth soccer goes, uh, is, is one of the largest. So um, hopefully we can start to continue down a path where that game becomes more, more accessible uh, to the youth, uh, not only nationally, but here in organizations, obviously in the Twin Cities, including yours, doing great work to help make that happen. So, uh, but let's get into your career a little bit. Um, so you started playing, like I said, with St. Paul Blackhawks, two-time All-State selection, signed to play D1 soccer at UW-Milwaukee. Um, you had mentioned at Milwaukee was kind of your moment where you started to realize that, that you know, you were kind of at that next level. So, I mean, being a two-time All-State selection, were you heavily recruited? And what ultimately led to that decision to stay in the upper Midwest and sign with the Panthers? You know, I knew I was going to go to college somewhere close. You know, my mom lived here with my with my little brother. So, you know, my choices really um, were to go to, like, Wisconsin, Marquette, Madison. Um, I knew I was going to, you know, stay close. You know, I had been, you know, recruited by 
um, some schools in Creighton and, and some other Midwestern schools, but not heavily. Um, and so I was all set to go to Madison and I had my dorm and my classes picked out. And, you know, Manny was all set to go to Virginia as the number one high school player uh, recruited. And we've been best friends since we were 10 years old and, and we played on every team together. And, you know, it was kind of the spring before signing day that, you know, we thought about it. We're like, you know what, this is going to be the last time, you know, we can, we're going to get to play together. Um, so we might as well, you know, enjoy this. And then, you know, we looked at our list and we each, we only had one school on our list that was the same. And that was Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And I, we kind of looked at each other and was like, I'll go if you go. And long <laughs> um, we both ended up changing our minds and went to college together at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. That, that's amazing. And we'll get into kind of the, the constant, you guys seem to tied at the hip across some of your, uh, you know, some of your stops on your professional careers as well. And we'll get into that uh, in just a little bit, but, you know, obviously going to Milwaukee for you personally ended up being a great decision. You know, schools all, you became the school's all time leading scorer, 53 goals, 32 assists from 90 to 93. Um, you know, like, like you mentioned teammates with Manny Lagos there, uh, was it mostly your own drive and determination to get better each year that kind of led you to reach that potential or was it Manny or were there any specific coaches or teammates that, that kind of played vital roles in that success that you had in college and kind of propelling you to that next step? Well, Manny, you know, Manny left, um, you know, after our sophomore year. So um, he went on to play professionally. So, um, you know, I think early on, you know, I think we were great at pushing each other. So, you know, we, it was like competing with your best friend that you loved, right? Your brother. So, you know, we want to one up each other, but at the same time, we took more pleasure in passing to each other, right? Like if yeah. we could, the keeper and pass it to the other person for the goal like that was the win so uh sure. i think we understood each other we wanted to make each other better you know physically we were gifted we were competitors we pushed the rest of the team when manny left school you know i had a my junior year i had a hernia year which was you know not a great year for me so i had to play some injuries it was a tough year um you know i managed through it but then i had surgery and then my my senior year it was kind of like you know, I, I, I went from like being a young man to a grown man um, and my hernia was fixed. And um, I think I was a different person at that point. So um, at that point, the game really slowed down for me. And, and, you know, my goal then was how do I make my players around me better? Um, how do I be a, a leader? Because um, I could do certain things, but no matter how good you are, you can't play by yourself. So it really became like a larger role in developing the team and developing different parts of my game. Um, so you had already mentioned that after after college, you know, um, you had gone to this new pro team, which was then in the USISL, which I believe is now the USL. I like clicked into the link and it took me to the USL. So I believe that's what it is now. But anyways, you mentioned you played alongside Brian McBride. Uh, what was that like getting to share the pitch with him, you know, that early in both of your careers? Um, obviously, you played with him again when you got to the national team. Um, how And how much do you attribute kind of that to, you know, the continued success that, that you would have? Well, you know, we have mutual admiration for each other. And, you know, we were both forwards. And um, again, you know, as a forward, I think that's what made me an all-around player because I always played with good finishers like Manny, like McBride. So, you know, past became part of my repertoire and really you know i knew if i got to the end line all i had to do was put it in the box and he would go find it um and he's a great guy too so um it helped me develop it helped me become a better passer um it helped me you know learn be a little bit more clinical finishing but um 
you know, playing with players at that caliber, always being able to push you, um, make you better and, and not take any days off was definitely very important. For sure. And uh, so I want to get to your indoor soccer career here because this is kind of interesting. So in the winter of 94, you uh, you played for the Chicago Power, uh, playing primarily as an attacker. But And I'm sure you've been at this, asked this question a ton. But you actually made five appearances as a goalkeeper over two seasons. Uh, was that just kind of out of necessity? Or, or how did that come to be? And how was that experience? Um, well, you know, over my career, I don't know if you know this, and I'll tell you on the national team, but I've started at over 10 different positions. I'm um, as yeah. a professional and nine with the national team. But, uh, you know, I think in indoor soccer, you know, you played six attacker a lot. And and so, like, you would pull your goalie. And so you'd want an athletic person that could handle the ball, you know, and, and also um, play keeper. And so one day it, it, the league was going crazy, right? We're, we're the worst team in the league and we're playing the best team. And it was great. It was an ESPN game and everyone's like, it's going to be a shootout, right? It's gonna They're going to score all these goals. And we were playing Cleveland. They had like the two best players in the league. So my coach decides, not going to happen. Tony, you're going to start in goal. We're going to play this attacker the whole game to keep away from them. Oh, my gosh. We, we did this. And, you know, we were actually up with like less than three minutes to go. Um, and they scored a late a late game winner. But um, it wasn't that exciting for the comment, for the people because – uh, we held the ball the whole time and they were frustrated. The league was pissed off, but, um, you know, it was whatever we needed to do to win. And psychologically, um, we almost had it. And um, that was my, my goaltending experience. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I love that story. Well, uh, sound, sounded like you did pretty well. It sounded like you held your own. So uh, congratulations on that. Uh, but obviously, you know, back to being attacker in 95, you actually returned to the Twin Cities to play for the Minnesota Thunder, joining up again with your old friend, Manny Lagos. Uh, and then you played another indoor season for the Milwaukee wave. And then midway through the inaugural MLS season in 96, you then signed with DC United um, with the MLS being so new, you know, when did you first hear about this sort of top level professional professional soccer league? And was the league, I guess it wasn't very established, but did it have that sort of factor to it where there was kind of maybe that, like I made it feeling when you signed, was there that, or was it just so new that you weren't really sure? Well, you know, everybody knew it. And so they had these huge combines and at all levels of playing. And so I went to the combine and, you know, I knew that I was going to be taken with the first five picks. Um, and Brian McBride ended up going first. And, you know, so what they told us a salary cap was I did the math. And I said, well, the average person is going to make like $80,000. So if I'm going to get the first five draft picks, you know, I need to make at least the average. But what they told us is anybody that played in the USISL was only going to make 24000 and some people 28000 So I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, I know that they want me to play. So I was like, I'll just wait, and then I'll go to Europe and try something there. I mean, I'm not going to lose anything over not getting paid $24,000 for a year. Um, but Bruce Arena really, really wanted me, and they, they started off poorly, and then they kept going to the league, and – Slowly, he was able to get more and more and more. And then eventually I did a deal that was incentive-based that if I played, you know, I would I would get more money and, and sign a new contract. And I agreed. And then that's how I ended up in Major League Soccer. And, you know, it's where I wanted to be. Um, but once you're there and for the first time playing ins inside of big stadiums and, you know, my first start, I was matched up against Roberto Donadoni. So um, it, it, it changed a lot. And just 
the kind of fields that you're playing on and the stage, it, it was, it was, um, it was special. And, and I, I felt I was right where I needed to be. And I, I really felt at home. Uh, do you feel like that experience is sort of what propelled you into that next step? You know, you headed over to Germany to play with her, the Berlin after, after three seasons in DC, um, you know, being with DC and kind of having that, having that platform, do you feel like that's what ended up propelling you to have that opportunity overseas? Yeah. I mean, it was continual growth. You know, I think I goal was to excel at my position and then try to be the best at it in the league and win. And, you know, I scored two goals in the two championships in DC and in the third year in the Inter-America cup finals. So I, I was doing things to help the team win, but I've also played in different positions and I had some great players, you know, Marco Echeverry, right. John Harks, you know, Eddie Pope. Um, and, and so I just absorbed um, information from these guys. Um, and so by the time, you know, Major League Soccer wanted to re-sign me, but they weren't going to give me more money. Um, I just said, you know what, I'll play my contract out and go. And so um, I did get confidence. Um, I had started to play with the national team, so I knew I could play on a, on a global stage. And I think part of it was just not knowing. Mm-hmm. But um, once I knew, I knew. And uh, the third year when I was in D.C., um, I was injured for part of the time. And I went upstairs to the coach's office every day and took a VHS from the past weekend. And I made an all-star tape for myself and I gave it to a lawyer and he sent it to a bunch of teams. And that's actually how I got my offer. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's, I mean, that, that, and that's doing your own work there too. That, that's fantastic. So, so kudos to you for that. Um, you had mentioned a couple of times and it's pretty obvious that you, that your versatility was a pretty big, uh, you know, pretty big, factor in terms of your ascension both both domestically and obviously internationally playing over in, in Germany um you know I feel like in today's game across all sports you know it's, it's full of specialists and, and you know the versatile players um you know aren't necessarily few and far between but they also shine I, I feel like you know I look at Minnesota United's Hassani Dotson and what he's doing right now for the U.S. men's national team U23s you know he's a versatile player so in terms of versatility obviously being one of the most versatile players um you know how, how much value do you take in that over necess- you know, over somebody who's maybe a specialist in one position or, or another and, and how, you know, especially in, in 2021's game, uh, 2021 soccer, you know, how much impact can a versatile player make being that there's so many specialists out there now? I mean, I think you can, you can make a, a great um, case. You know, I think it depends on the team, right. And some teams need it and some don't, but, um, the idea is when you have one or two really versatile players, you can always put your best 11 players on the field um, because you can move them around to plug in spots or open holes. So, um, you know, you look at like, how do I get my best 11 on the field? That's by having two removable pieces that you can move around um, to do that. So when people get injured, you don't have to go to your 17th, 18th player, right? You can go to your 11th or 12th player because you know you can move two guys and switch positions to allow those other guys to get on the field. So I definitely think there's a spot for them, um, you know, in the game today. I think, you know, there's three things, you know, you have to be athletic, you know, you have to be tactically good and you have to be technically good. And so in order to play that many positions, you you have to kind of be all three, have yeah. good field awareness and, and be willing to do what it takes for the team. So after three seasons in D.C., like you said, you went over and played in Germany with Hertha Berlin. And at the same time, you're sort of entering that that, that prime with the U.N.'s men's national team as well. Um, you know, uh, we talked a little bit before about this, but you're probably the only person I'm ever going to interview to compete in both the UEFA Champions League and the FIFA World Cup, let alone actually tally an assist in each tournament. 
Uh, so very simplistic question here, and I apologize, but well, what was it like? I mean, competing in each of those, and how were they both similar and different experiences? Um, when, you know, people were like, was that cool? I was like, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Super duper cool. Um, yeah. You know, what's interesting is when you grow up as a kid and you watch those Champions League games, right, and they're at noon, and like, but the games there, they're on at night, right? So a lot of times your games are during the day. So Champions League games are special because they're at night. And, you know, Friday night lights, you know, you get that experience. But they play the music, right? The music you see on TV when they bring the soccer Champions. ball. Yes. They play that in the stadium. So there's that chill. You know, it's different kind of bonus money. Um, you're playing against world-class people. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. And, I, you know, so I'd be lying if I if I tried to minimize it. It's it's They've done a great job with it. And, and um, it's special. And when you're in it, you feel special. And so – um, luckily I was on a team that got to play in the Champions League and we made it to a couple rounds and um, played some great teams from Barcelona's and Chelsea's and Milan's and Porto's and um, uh, it was special and um, uh, I had some great experiences there. Did you give yourself some time when you were on the pitch to sort of kind of soak that in? I mean, obviously the competitive nature kicks in when you're on the pitch and you're looking to win and you're looking to make an impact. But did you ever give yourself time, whether it was walking out or, you know, during a, you know, a point in the match or, or whenever, did you ever kind of take that time to sort of soak it in and be like, man, I'm, I'm on the biggest stage right now? I mean, when like when you're playing Barcelona and you go the day to, before the game to warm up and like the grass is like a putting green and you kind of look around the stadium and you're just like, this place is big, right? And then you walk out like game day and it's full of people, you're like, this place is big, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's not like Gillette where it seats 65, but there's 15, 20,000 people, right? Right. No, it's big. And then, you know, you look across and, you know, you know okay, who are you playing against? You're like, all right, uh, Patrick Clivert, um, you know, one of the best center forwards in the world. Oh, by the way, last year's World Player of the Year, Rivaldo, is over there. Oh, and on the other side of the wing is this year's World Player of the Year, Figo, right? Yeah. You know, and so – um, it, it, it was an awesome experience. And the World Cup is totally different. Um, and that's in that you're playing for your country. And a million people are watching. So, you know, for me, it was like a kid at a candy store. It's showtime. Like, everybody's watching. Everybody who did you a favor was sitting somewhere and, and talking about you. And, and, you know, they were like, remember that kid I told you that it was this? That's him. He made it. So, for me, it was an opportunity to share what I was doing with the rest of the world. Um, and to represent my country, which was really special. And uh, we had a great team and we had a good time. And um, I'm glad and I would like to think, you know, I played some of my best soccer during that period um, to help USA to what I would like to call one of the best tournaments that we've had in, in a long time. But who's comparing? I would agree. I would 100% agree with that statement. Um, was there, in, in terms of comparing those two tournaments specifically, were you more nervous for one than the other or was it just sort of different? It's different. I mean, the World Cup, because, you know, you live your whole life for that. You know, there's like six months before it. Every day you're like, don't get hurt. Don't, <laughs> don't yep. get hurt. Right. And finally, you're at the national anthem on the field and you're like, nothing bad can happen between now and game time. I'm starting in the World Cup and I'm here. Right. Yep. And so that's that's there's a, there's a different kind of pressure on in your because it's every day you're thinking about, and, you know, we had some guys go down in the last, Chris Armas went down in like the last uh, qualifying or friendly game before it, uh, which mm -hmm. was just a, just a horrible, tough break. So 
Um, totally different experiences, um, but both of them incredible and um, um, they're awesome. So I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I love that. Um, so uh, talking about your uh, national team experience specifically, not only you're on that 2002 World Cup team, you're also on the 2005 Gold Cup champion team. Um, obviously, nothing can replicate representing your country. It's what every, every you know, boy dreams of. Uh, but at times there can be this, uh, I, I feel like, and I've heard stories that there can be a sort of tug of war where the national team is calling back a player often enough where it can maybe not have a super positive impact in their progression with their own club. Um, how do you feel that balance was struck for you and did it impact the level that you were able to reach there in Germany, good or bad? Yeah, you know, because of that, you know, it was challenging because, you know, you play Saturday in Germany um, or Sunday, right? And you travel the next day, you arrive in, in somewhere in the United States on Monday, you know, rest, you, you practice on, on Tuesday and travel. And then you end up like in Mexico city and then you play in Mexico on Wednesday, fly back to Minnesota, uh, you know, the U S on Thursday, you know, you leave, you know, Thursday at some time or Friday, you arrive there, you know, Saturday morning, and then you got a game again. Um, and you know, my coach was like, you know, I played a game in Russia where I was only supposed to play a half. And afterwards, my phone was ringing and my coach was cussing out Bruce Arena for 30 minutes. And Bruce kind of, you know, when he's here, he's here. So I don't want to hear it. And then when I got back to my team, he gave me the schedule. He goes, this is your national team schedule next year. Every time you go away, I'm going to put you in the bleachers. You're not going to play when you come back because I don't need tired players when I have 22 national team players here. So that really forced me to switch clubs because – I, I went to a club where I was going to be able to play every day, no matter what. Um, and, um, but again, when I first went to, to Germany, um, you know, I, the, I, you know, I skipped the Confederations cup and I skipped friendlies. And, you know, when I was at the peak of my career, I only played three games in a year because I only played in like the important games. And although I played more qualifying games and world cup games than anybody, you know, during my period during that, for that world cup, um, I, I played in the least amount of friendlies. So at the end of the day, like it, it definitely, I, I believe hurt my, you know, you could say your hall of fame chances because the number of caps that you get, um, I, I didn't play in games just to play in games. And so um, that hurt me, I guess, in that aspect. And then, um, you know, in Berlin, my team was so competitive that it was just a lot. And so my coach didn't want to play you if you went to these games, but I went to Nuremberg, I was a leader and the team sort of needed me no matter what. So it, added up on the body and you know sometimes you play 17 games and in, in 15 you know or five games in 17 days um but i but i always played and, and actually being on the national team um helped me get more credibility there absolutely absolutely um oh thank you for that story by the way you know your coach cussing out bruce arena that's 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 a pretty that's a pretty great story um so uh Upon your return from Germany, you finished your career playing five more seasons in the MLS, multiple clubs. You also made actually two more appearances for Minnesota Thunder during that time. Uh, what was the biggest difference in your mind or in what you saw from your first stint in MLS to that second in terms of maybe growth of the league or just your own kind of role within that? You know, I think there was a lot more teams by the time I came back. Um, you know, my personally, I was a totally different person. Like, right, I was like one of the youngest person people when I left. You know, when I came back, like I was one of the leaders, um, you know, unfortunately, the league was different, um, but it almost seemed younger. And so one of the challenges were like at the end of my career, 
so many of the teams were young player heavy that it was hard to get better tactically um, because the young players want to play one way. And when there's so many of them on a team, they kind of overpower, you know, and Bruce Arena was really good at supporting his team. He'd always have three or four young players and then a lot of mid-veterans so that the young players understood, you know, what being a professional meant. And so they weren't going to create their own style of soccer. And so, like, we helped, helped like, young guys like Ben Olsen or, you know, um, uh, A.J. De La Garza or Omar um, Gonzalez because they were in an environment surrounded by, by, you know, a lot of veterans. So that's one way I think the league, you know, changed a lot. I mean, obviously, when I came back, there were soccer-specific stadiums, um, more teams, um, you know, better fields, better conditions. The marketing had grown a lot. Um, play was, you know, I, I don't want to say it was – uh, you know, a lot better or a lot worse. Um, I think early on you had some very special players in the league, you know, when you had Valderrama, uh, Marco Echeverri, um, you know, those guys were were, were real special and uh, closer to being in their prime, I would say. Um, but then later on you had a lot more, you know, American veterans and, and true national team players as well. Do you still follow the MLS or, or, or soccer at all? I know you're a busy guy. you got a lot going on. Uh, but in your post-playing career, have you continued to follow the sport, whether it's domestically or in Europe? Yeah, you know, I, I do follow, you know, the sport. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Chelsea fan, so, I, you know, I, okay. I follow probably, probably the most. You know, I, I follow Minnesota United, obviously, being a local team. And, um, you know, I don't follow the national team as much as I, as I want to. Um, but you know, because I don't follow all the friendlies or the, the games. So, um, and then I, I try to follow the league and, um, you know, with the internet now, there's so much available that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to stay on top of it all, but overwhelming for sure. We're, we're, we're really lucky that we get the opportunity to see and compare. And I think it's great for the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned following Minnesota United. Um, obviously you mentioned your friendship with Manny Lagos, um, how do you feel like this club has progressed in its first now, now it's been four years in MLS in terms of where they stand and, um, you know, what what do you expect to see from them, you know, knowing Manny and knowing the club over over the next few years as they sort of hopefully continue that ascension? Well, you know, they've, they've done a good job. Um, you know, I think they went from being like an expansion team or a nobody to like a real team. Um, you know, you saw the brand and the style of play really, really improve. And, you know, you got to give Adrian a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, I think this is somewhere where you, you come in and you, you ha- it's going to be a tough game. You know, I think two years ago, they made a lot of really good moves and um, shored up the middle of the field, right? And, and they yeah. brought one of the best keepers in the league that was an okay shot stopper, but was an incredible organizer, right? And then you had Ike and the defender of the year, you know, down the middle of the field. And then Alonzo um, um, down the middle of the field. Um, and then, um, you know, they, you start to sign some other guys. So really that stability in, in defense and the counterattack, I think, helped perpetuate the team. So um, it was they were going to be a hard team to beat because of those investments. And then, yeah. you know, last year you started to see some, you know, some other players thrive and Kevin Molina who, who left, who, you know, I think, that is going to hurt them this year. Um, happy, you know, somebody that's creative that can that can create. That's a wild card. Um, uh, so I, I do think that that will hurt. But you know, you have young guys like Hassani who's still growing, getting better. Um, that hasn't played every day, but hopefully should get that opportunity this year as they come into their own. 
Um, you know, and they had some other young players, you know, Mason Toyo that um, they did a good job of bringing some young players, but there wasn't enough opportunities for them to play. So they moved on, which, you know, good and bad because they, they went to get a chance somewhere, but you would have liked to see them to have the opportunity to develop here. Um, so that, that, that's disappointing, but the team's done a good job in, in, in building the team around true professionals. Um, and that's what you need to be competitive. And, you know, you don't need three stars and 45, 16 year olds, right. You, you know, you get good, solid professionals, right. Um, you know, in the box holes and, and then you get some young players that, you know, like, you know, you know, um, the left back, um, that can really, yeah. Um, that can start to develop. And, and now he goes from being, you know, a rookie three, four years ago to um, volunteering, serving turkeys at the Sana Foundation. Now, um, <laughs> with us. So um, it's, it's great that they give back in the community, but to see them progress and now come from young player to actually get on the pay, the field to be in the national team pool um, is what really excites me. And so the bigger pool that we have that, you know, you should never look at a team and worry like that guy starting and he shouldn't be there. Um, yeah. that's, you know, you have a team that can really compete. And I think we have a team that can really compete. Definitely. Now we've, we've talked about the excellent work that you've done in your post-playing career with the Sonic foundation, but before we let you go, I want to talk about the latest project you've become part of, and that's the anti-racist project. Um, obviously the name, uh, somewhat self-explanatory, but if you could tell us a bit about this and, and what inspired you to help bring this to light. Well, we've always done, you know, anti-racism work at the Sonic foundation. And so, we have a program called For All Youth, and we do anti-racism um, trainings, and we help players resist, respond, and react to racist incidents. And, um, you know, it was hard to get funding for it, but it was something internal. So it, it, we ended up not doing as many um, as many shows or, 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 or seminars because it was began to get embedded into our work. It's part of what we do. You know, we have 26 languages. But... You know, there was an appetite for funding here, and I think people were looking, hey, we need to do something. And we kind of raised our hand and said, we already do this. And so the groups kind of got behind us and said, hey, if you're willing to do this, you know, we let's get it going. And we said, well, you know, we want to refresh it. So we're working with Common Goal and some others um, that have stepped up to help raise money for us to yeah. re refresh and redo and, and hopefully um, rebuild our anti-racism curriculum so that we can delivered on a nationwide scale. Yeah, you got Chicago Fire, Angel City of the NWSL, uh, USL Club Oakland Roots, uh, the American Outlaws, U.S. National Team Supporters Group, you know, all collectively major parts of this effort, plus UN's men's national team and Manchester City goalkeeper Zach Steffen has also come out in direct support as well. What does it mean to you to see, see these notable teams, supporters groups, individual players coming together to sort of support and spearhead this effort alongside you? I mean, it's, it's great when you see people reach, you know, outside the game and look at ways to make the game better and, you know, have that openness to say, hey, you know what, it's not okay and here's what we want to do and I'm willing to align my reputation and give my time and support and money to help make change. That's always very positive. So it means a lot that it's a priority um, right now, given what's going on, and, and you know, in this country and around the world. And you know, I'm excited for the opportunity to deliver a great project and hopefully build an, a more equitable environment for people of color to play in the sport and also just to be a fan or or coach or be a parent as well. 
Now this next question comes with a lot of fingers crossed and, and hopes that we can get to a somewhat, uh, you know, some sense of normalcy as we head into the summer here. But what do you, what does 2021 have in store for both the Sane Foundation Foundation and the Anti-Racist Project and the work you're doing in the community? Do you have any, you know, hopefully events coming up in the in the summer or the fall, or what do you guys plan on doing as we head further into 2021? Well, we'll be doing over 50 free camps for kids in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, we have a girls' first program where we hire girls and train them with coaching license and, and we're excited for them to be coaching this summer and think getting back to normal. We'll be doing free food distributions. Um, we're wrapping up a $10 million campaign. So we're building a sports complex with a dome and turf fields on the east side of St. Paul. Um, we're moving our corporate offices into a new building on University Avenue, a couple blocks from the, from the stadium. Um, so, you know, we'll be busy and then we're going to be doing a lot of listening sessions, you know, in Minnesota, but across the country, because we want to get the pulse of the whole country. So I mean, in a lot of major cities, uh, we're looking for volunteers, players, participants to tell their stories about if they've been a part of any racist incidents or just how what it means to be in a, in a positive environment. And we want to take those and build best practices. So um, that's what we'll be doing for the next you know 12 months. But we believe we're going to have a great summer and um Hopefully we'll all get vaccinated and get back to normal. Absolutely. Well, all great work. Go to the sanefoundation.org to learn more about all of the amazing stuff that Tony has helped put together for the Twin Cities community. And also uh, to learn how you can donate or get involved as well. Like I said, looking for volunteers, obviously. So, um, and also if you want to learn more about the anti-racist project, just go to common-goal.org. Tony, I I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you about your career, all the amazing work that you're currently doing. It's, it's honestly an honor, man. I'm a huge fan, and uh, I really hope we can keep in touch and do this again soon. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for stepping up in the sport and, and collecting the total view and the community part of it and look forward to it, and um, um, let me know. I'm glad to be back. That interview on 10,000 Pitches was presented by our friends at PodMN. I want you to go to your Apple App Store or your Google Play Store, whatever kind of phone you have, and type in PodMN, P-O-D-M-N. Hit that download button. And when you go there, I want you to search for Minnesota Soccer. You will find that in that dropdown, you have all your favorite Minnesota Soccer podcasts right there in one place. I'm looking right now. We have Sound of the Loons, Crafty Rogues, Equal Time Soccer, uh, we call it soccer, the Minnesota Soccer Podcast, 55-1, the Daves I Know, all right there. One-stop shopping for all your favorite Minnesota soccer podcasts. And also, I got to admit, 10,000 Pitches is on there too. And it's more than just soccer. It's more than just sports. They have Vikings, Twins, Gophers, Timberwolves podcasts. They have local true crime story podcasts, local news podcasts, local entertainment podcasts from Minnesota creators, Minnesota podcasters, all in one app. And I haven't even gotten to the best part yet. The best part is that you can actually win prizes just for listening to podcasts. Go to your Apple App Store or Google Play Store, download PodMN, and go to PodMN.com to learn more. So in, in the soccer world, um, a certain team made headlines with a logo change. Um, and these headlines weren't necessarily good. So in honor of that me and Josh are going to talk about or rank slash draft some of our favorite logos. So first, we're going to do our the best slash our favorite Minnesota logo. 
Then we're going to do the Wisconsin, like best or favorite Wisconsin logo. Then just a random logo. Then our favorite Premier League team logo. And finally, the worst logo. Um, that's right. This is good podcasting. Talking about visuals in audio. That's that's <laughs> what good podcasting is. Um, so anyways, Josh, let's get into this. Let's get into the draft. Like I said, we're starting with our the best slash our favorite Minnesota uh, logo. So I will go first. And um, there's a lot of great ones in Minnesota. Um, my honorable mention would have to be uh, Duluth. Um, I think the Bulldogs awesome. Um, I, I'm a little biased there, but um, but the one that I ultimately gave the nod is the current Vikings logo, the Minnesota Vikings. I I think it's pretty undeniably great. You know, regardless of your feelings about the team, I think the logo is uh, is what's great. Okay, Josh, go ahead. Um, well, I I decided to stick to uh, to soccer teams. For, for the purposes of this. I do have a few randoms somewhere in there. Um, but I would give uh, my my favorite Minnesota logo that, I, that I've seen so far. I really like Joy Athletics logo. Yeah. I'm a big definitely. fan of the GOAT. Yeah, the, the GOAT is awesome. They got a great, like, color scheme, too, that, like, kind of salmon. It's yeah, awesome. the salmon and white. I'm a big fan of that. If I'm going to give an honorable mention as well, I mean, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to Spam FC. I like the, the bird logo as well, so. Good for them. Speaking of Spam FC, head over to shopspamfc.com to, you know, not only get that logo, but get some other great merchandise with spamfc.com. Use code POD, P-O-D, for 10% off your first order. Hashtag ad. All right. Perfect. Moving on. Thanks for teeing that up for me, Josh. Didn't even tell him to do that. He just did it. All right. Okay, we're moving on to the best slash our favorite Wisconsin logos. Um, a lot of good logos coming out of Wisconsin, but I'm ultimately giving the nod to the Brewers uh, Barrel Man specifically. Yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, that, that's a great one. That's a great shout, Ethan. Um, I will. I'll, I'll name a non-soccer logo as well. Um, my, my favorite logo growing up was always the ball and club logo for the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, uh, with like and, the B and the M, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, and they're bringing that back. They've brought it back over the last decade or so, fifteen years, and they had it as part of their retro Fridays. But now it's like an, an actual regular fixture in the in the lineup uh, for the Brewers. So it, it's great branding. It, it was the best logo in the '80s, which I was not around for. So I'm glad that they've reprised it and brought it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brewers are probably the best branded pro team in Wisconsin. Um, for those of you like who don't really know what we're talking about, like the Barrel Man is like a, a guy, uh, or it looks like a guy, like a representation of a guy, and his like torso is made up of a barrel, and he's swinging a bat. Um, it's awesome. It's a great logo. And then I'm sure you guys know the one Josh talked about, but. Um, if you didn't know, the glove, like the 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 fingers, form an M and a B for Milwaukee Brewers. It, it's it's subtle, but once you see it, you can never unsee it. Can never unsee it. That's right. We're moving on here to our favorite random logo. So this this can be any team anywhere. 
All right, so we're moving on. Number three here, random logo. This logo can be from any team, anywhere. So first, I'm going to do an honorable mention in the soccer sphere, and that's going to be the Union Omaha. Uh, they are USL League One. Uh, so they, they, they play against Madison FC, um, who we talk about a lot. Um, and they have this owl. Um, it, it's an awesome owl with like a, some neon. Um, their secondary logo is just the, the eyes of the owl. It's awesome. But the one I'm ultimately giving the nod to is the main Red Claws. They are the G League affiliate of the Boston Celtics. And it, it's like this lobster holding these two basketballs. It, it's an awesome logo. Uh, but Josh, go ahead. I'm just looking up the main Red Claws logo now. It, it's, that's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty unique. Um, it looks fierce. I wouldn't want to face that team. Um, I'll follow suit. I'll give an honorable mention, and then I'll give a uh, my, my actual favorite. Um, I'm going to go back to to my teen years here. Go back to my early twenties, and and uh, to the uh, place that employed me for nine years, much to their uh, 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 much to them, you know, not wanting to do that for so long. I'm sure. Um, uh, but Outpost Natural Foods is uh, is going to be my my alternate logo choice, um, and the reason why it's because it's a food basket with a giant smiley face and a bunch of vegetables sticking off the top. And uh, I mean, the name itself they call him Mister Delicious. Wait, what? What is it again? The Outpost Natural Foods. Outpost Natural Foods. You might have to go to their website to find it, but um, but basically it's a, it's a food basket, and they call him Mister Delicious. Okay, I'm I'm on I'm on the website. Do you have a Do you have a sports one you wanna? I do. Okay, I do. Yeah, yeah. Um. So my my sports logo, my soccer logo for favorite random has to belong to Himarshi FC out of um, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They are the Phoenix club that sort of emerged from the ashes of Fort Lauderdale strikers shutting down after the NASL uh, folded in 2016. So Himarshi has been around since about that time. Um, they're a nonprofit organization. They're supporter owned. You should definitely follow them on Twitter because they put out great content and also the, the logo itself, which is why we're talking about them. I mean, their, their colors are so smart. Think like uh, USC colors, like that sort of Trojan red and, and um and like kind of goldish they've got two different tones of yellow um it's very clean very bold it's a it's your traditional football badge but it's it's very well done so i'm a big fan of that all right awesome pick and and i tracked down mr delicious and uh that that was a great choice great honorable mention he uh he looked very in shape as well like which I can tell he's been running a lot as he's doing in the logo. So yes, he's doing a lot of running and he's doing a lot of healthy eating. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Mr. Delicious. Okay. Anyways, moving on here, number four in the draft. We're moving on to our favorite Premier League team logos, and I am going with uh, Newcastle. I I love the use of the seahorses personally very unique very cool i mean they 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 gotta at least win one thing so if they're gonna win this logo contest that's good but uh at the same time 
they're pretty abysmal as a club. So I'm not going to go for them. Um, I could just be a homer and then say Tottenham is my favorite Premier League badge <laughs> um, because I don't really have much else to go off of here. But I really also I, I do like Wolves as well. It, you know, it's very clean, modern. Um, and fierce, it gives off a it gives off a good depiction of what that club is all about. And I also like the difference in the shield itself. It's a it's a hexagon, which uh, not many clubs uh, use hexagons well. So good for them. Yeah, that that's that's a great pick. Um, I think you know our two picks really show the contrast in like 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 you said, wolves is very modern, and like I think that's where you know logos are headed generally like a very toned down simplistic design um, versus, you know, Newcastle, which is still like very intricate. There's a lot going on there. Um, and I, and I think that's interesting, but, uh, but yeah, um, anyways, great pick. Here we are. Number five, the worst logo or our least favorite logos. Um, my honorable mention for this is caribou coffee. Um, I'm a big caribou coffee fan but I just, I, it, I can't, like, I know the logo is supposed to be, like, like obviously a caribou, but, or, like, the horns of a caribou, but I just, I just, I just can't see it. Um, it doesn't click for me, but, uh, but the one I'm ultimately giving the nod to is the Winnipeg Jets. Um, it looks like a Captain America shield with a Canadian flag with like a clip art um, like jet in the middle. I'm, I'm out on the Winnipeg jets. Um, I've seen like some other logos, like some of their older ones really cool, but their current primary logo I'm out. Josh, go ahead. Um, I only picked one uh, because I, I do feel like there, there should just be one bona fide worst logo. And I kept it within soccer as well for the most part. Um, but, uh, that's gonna, it's gonna go to the, uh, Real Federación Española de Football new logo that they put out a couple weeks ago. Um, if you just, uh, search for the, uh, RFEF on Twitter, you should find them. But, um, uh, they, uh, they put out this new logo where it's just a white circle with the letters RFEF, um, just within the circle. And a lot of clubs were parodying that. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, but also um, they claimed it was uh, some brand new revolutionary design. And that's exactly what it wasn't. Uh, it's just a, a, a 10 minute Canva project, more or less. Yeah, no, it it's bad. It, it literally is a circle with an RFEF. Um, and, and once again, I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about, where logos are headed is this just simplistic toned down, um, uh, you know, kind of representational look. Um, and, and I think they got it wrong if we're being honest. Yeah, they got it way wrong. I mean, and for, for the Spanish national teams federation to go from the logo that they had in the early 2010s, which was probably, and Danny said this on over on small world too, it was probably one of the best logos, not only in world football, but just in general, um, and then they, they've gone and completely taken that out of play and they've issued this new modern look and it's terrible. It, it looks like it appeals to boomers. Yeah, it's it's a bad look. Um, so anyways, uh, there you go. There's the there is the loco ranking slash draft 
from from me and Josh. Um, uh, like we said, good podcasting, visual talking about visuals <laughs> in an audio format. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get I'll get a graphic out there with all our choices. But anyways, we're we're bringing this thing home. And uh, here on 10K, we like to uh, read nice reviews uh, that people have left about the pod. But in honor of April Fools, I went over to Amazon.com, their Amazon Prime video specifically, and uh, found the movie April Fool's Day uh, by Deborah Foreman from 1986. And naturally, I went to the reviews of the film. And uh, so I picked two reviews and I also, um, or maybe I picked some reviews from our uh, 10K website as well. And so Josh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these two reviews. We'll go one at a time. And I need you to tell me if I got them from the 10K website about the pod or if I got it from Amazon.com, the reviews about the movie. Okay. All right. Let's go. I may have edited some words, you know, where it said movie. I may have put pod in to kind of throw you off a little bit. So you need to, uh, you know, uh, 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 use my better judgment. Use your better judgment. There you go. There you go. Okay. First review. It's a short one. So you're telling me, is it from the 10K website about our podcast or is it from Amazon.com and it's about the movie? All right. Here we go. First one. This is bomb. There we go. Um, I mean, it sounds like a review that someone would, would leave for a podcast, just short and sweet. Uh, but then again, I mean, I'm going to say it's from the movie. It's from the movie. You got it. That's right. Nailed from the it. Movie. That is the April Fool's Day by Deborah Foreman from 1986, available for streaming on Prime Video if you want to check it out. Um, okay, next one, a little bit longer. Like I said, I may have edited some words. I may not have edited some words. It's up to you to determine which is which. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it now. While the overall uh, pod is quite impossible, the material is beautifully handled. The central hosts are very memorable, which is not often the case with modern podcasts. So that was refreshing. There was also a great deal of atmosphere, especially in the final part of the pod. And speaking of the final part of the pod, it's a shocker. As an avid podcast fan, I'd seen quite a few podcasts or listened to quite a few podcasts. But this one tops the cake as one of the most bizarre and original podcasts I've ever listened to. And even throughout the podcast, um, you know, from the 2020s, it has aged very well. Creepy, hilarious, and shocking. Four out of five. All right, Josh, was that from, was that from Amazon or was that from the 10K Apple Review podcasts i think all of that does pretty well to describe what 10k is all about um uh with with the, with the atmosphere at the end and you know sometimes being creepy but also just bizarre and great um, exactly, exactly. but i'm also gonna say it's from the movie ethan okay yep you got it it's from the movie that's right all right josh you were two for two um uh i forgot take that to- jeremy yeah take that jeremy um 
Actually, I've never done that with Jeremy. But anyways, um, I don't think I don't think he'd let that fly if he was actually <laughs> on. Um, I so I I will read the premise. Like I said, it's April Fool's Day. Um, IMDb has it at a six point two. It's an hour and a half long. Um, I'll read the I'll read the uh, the premise now. It is horror and suspense, by the way. Um, a practical joke filled weekend at a wealthy young woman's remote island mansion gives way to horror when the guests start disappearing. It's a mad slasher on the loose question mark. So you can rent that right now for three ninety nine on Amazon. I didn't actually rent it, and I have no intention to. But if you want to, happy April Fools. Um, day. Happy April Fool's Day. Anyways, thank you, Josh, so much for coming on to 10K and uh, giving us your thoughts on logos and, and movies. Um, go ahead and uh, plug where uh, where the people can find you. Yeah, and Ethan, thank you so much for, for reaching out to me and, and allowing me to come on here and uh, talk to you guys and talk to the public about, you know, just all this, the logos, the uh, going back and talking about the uh, social media stuff as well. Um, you can find everything that, that we're working on here in Eau Claire uh, with Bateau FC uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BateauFC.com. And then you can also go to www.BateauFC.com for our website, and you can get all the recent news, which there isn't much. There will be more soon. Um but uh, you can uh, uh, look into see what we're doing with the community. Um, we're we're going to be launching membership soon. And then you can also go over to BateauFCShop.com. We already mentioned that one before. But uh, if you want to uh, pick up some cool merchandise and, and help support the team that way, I would greatly appreciate it. All right. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Uh, thank you so much to Tony for also coming on the pod, talking to Jeremy. We will be back next week. Have a good one, guys. There's a, there's a guy, like, mowing. I don't know why he'd be mowing, though. Maybe he's, like, sawing something outside, and it's so loud. Like Oh, like, over, actually, by you? Yeah, I can, I don't know if you can hear it, but. No, I, I don't I, have it. I like, I like how I have the audacity to, to sit inside and, and complain about someone doing his job. Just looking out, peering yeah. out. It's like, what are you doing out there? Actually, doing your perf- your job. You gotta I mean, call the HOA, man. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get someone on this this crazy guy doing his job outside my window. This is um, ridiculous. Unbelievable. <laughs>